0: 1 Peter chapter 1, it's been slow going uh, as we've gone through it. And here in 1 Peter chapter 1, from verse 3 all the way to verse 12, it's basically one continuous thought. So that's why we're going really slow through it. I know you guys don't suffer from uh, run-on sentences, right? Uh, but as you read the epistles, especially Paul, he's like notorious for it, and it's just verses and verses and verses And Verses and English teachers today would have given him an F. But man, there's powerful stuff there. And here in the Greek, Peter is basically giving us a giant run-on sentence. That last time we were together, we mentioned how in verse 3, Peter can't help but in the middle of his letter to break out in song, giving glory and honor and exaltation to God and to Jesus for our salvation. Again, Verse 3 through verse 12 can all be summed up with how incredible our salvation is. But we're not here just for the summary, right? We want to get into it and see what's going on. So we looked at Peter last, uh, two times ago that we were together, everything he had been through. Last time we looked at, man, the mercy of God and the living hope that we have, a hope that's alive because it's never going to disappoint A hope that's alive because it's never going to run out. We're never going to get to this anticipation of heaven and meeting Jesus face-to-face and it fall flat and not be what we expected. It's a living and a great hope. And again, thank the Lord, this living and great hope, we're not the ones that take care of it. We're not the ones that have to guard it. We're not the ones having having to call over and over again, hey, is my reservation still there? Hey, Lord, is my reservation still there? I think I don't have my reservation. We don't have to be worried about that. God is the one who's protecting and keeping that reservation. But now we'll be looking at verse 6 through 12 tonight. We'll read from verse 3 to verse 12. Get proper context. Again, so important. Um, I think more important than ever in life just to get proper context, right? And news and media, they get one clip. You hear one thing, proper to get, man, get the full context and the same thing here with Scripture. So we'll read verse 3 through 12 and then start cutting up from verse 6 and on. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that does not fade away "...reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire... May be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Whom having not seen, you love. Though now you do not see him, yet believing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. Receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Of this salvation the prophets have inquired and searched carefully who prophesied of the grace that would come to you, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ who was in them was indicating when He testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. To them it was revealed that not to themselves but to us, They were ministering the things which now have been reported to you through those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things which angels desire to look into. Again, we have such a great salvation. And verse 6, In this which you greatly rejoice, we should be greatly rejoicing when we're thinking about our salvation when we're pondering on it when we're thinking about it we should greatly rejoice and again it's important who is peter writing this book of first peter 2 christians right he's writing he's writing it out to christians you guys are so good at this right he's writing it to a group of christians who are undergoing intense persecution If you remember the first time we looked at it, right, we talked about Nero, how he was insane. He blamed the destruction all over Rome and the Roman Empire. He blamed it all on the Christians. The Christians, as we looked at James, they were already going through difficulties. And now Nero just dumped a bunch of gasoline on top of the difficulties that the Christians were going through. And there's no greater source of encouragement during trials, And during persecution, then the view and focus of our salvation in and through Jesus Christ. If you're in the midst of persecution, man, be reminded of our salvation. Be reminded of the hope, the living hope that we have. And we should be greatly rejoicing. That word, to greatly rejoice, it speaks of jumping for joy. To be exceedingly glad, right? When was the last time you jumped for joy for anything, right? Think of people at a a sporting event and there's a a huge turnover, a huge touchdown, a last-minute catch, and people just jump out of their seats. That's how we should react when we think about our salvation. That's how we should be acting. When we think about our salvation, we should be jumping for joy. When we ponder on God's power keeping us and keeping our reservation in heaven when we spend some time in thought on our salvation from the damnation of hell for all of eternity, when we view our great inheritance that cannot fade away, that will never be defiled, never be corrupted, and can never be watered down, we should be jumping for joy. That we have and possess a living hope that can never die and can never disappoint because it was purchased by the one who defeated death and hell itself, we should be exceedingly glad. We should be jumping out of our chairs for joy. That's how we should be acting when we think and ponder on our salvation. And you know what gives us proper perspective on all these truths of God that we just spoke about? Various trials. Exactly, right? Exactly. That's what I was thinking, man. It's terrible when we go through trials, but guess what? We need trials i was listening to a pastor he goes write this down we need trials right it's like no, no no write it down we need trials right don't get up don't leave church don't tune out don't put your ear in right no we need trials and the word here is various trials so it's not just like one type of trial. no it's multicolored trials right that's what it's talking about you could think of Baskin and Robbins, right? It's not just one trial. It's 52 different types of trials that we can give to each and every one of you. That word various, it speaks of multicolored. It's the same word in the Greek that they would describe the spots of a leopard, the embroidered um, pieces of thread in a robe, and the veins of color in a piece of marble. There are various trials. There's different trials, different flavors for each and every one of us. And we will go through many different trials. And trials will reveal to us the genuineness or the proof of our faith. On Sunday mornings, we've been going through the book of Exodus. And as we see God give a command to the nation of Israel, he says, this is a test. I command you to do this, and this is a test. And we talked about how these tests, if we're obedient to God's word or not, it's going to prove who we love most, who we respect most, right? And who we trust the most, if we obey or disobey the Lord. And trials, I got three things here. Trials reveal what we are made of. Trials reveal what our true hope is. And trials reveal if we really want God's will. Trials, they're going to reveal what we're made of. They're going to reveal where our true hope is. And they're going to reveal if we really want God's will. And the question to us here is if this is a testing, who's the one that needs to see this test, right? Who's the one that needs to see the results of this test? The all-knowing, the all-powerful God, the great I am that we just spoke of, right? The one who formed you and I in our mother's womb, the one who knows the number of hairs on her head, the one who knows the moment he spoke earth into existence and the very moment that he's going to destroy it. Do you think he's the one that needs to know the test? No, it's not for God. God already knows, right? That's what we talked about in verse 2, right? That we are the elect according to the foreknowledge of God. God has seen the test before, the pretest, test the post-test. He's seen all of it. The reason we need trials is so that we can see where we are at with God. The reasons why there are trials is so that we can see where our true hope is. The reason we need trials is so that we can see if we really want God's will in our life or not. Again, trials reveal what we're made of. Again, you can be reminded Peter, right? The one who's writing this letter, and I have no doubt that he's thinking of his own life. We've spoken about it a few times. Matthew 26, verse 31 through 35, right? Jesus says, hey, assuredly I say to you, one of you will deny me tonight, right? You're all going to leave me. And what does Peter say? Not I, Lord. Even if I have to die with you, I will never deny you. And then he looks at him and says, Peter, you're going to deny me tonight. Before the rooster crows, you're going to have to deny me three times. But hey, I'm praying for you. I'm praying for you. And then surely what happens in Luke chapter 22, verse 54 through 62, Peter denies him three times. He curses a young little girl. And then at that, after that third time, right? The rooster crows and it tells us that Jesus locked eyes with him. Jesus already knew what was going to happen. He basically told him what was going to happen, right? But now Peter is able to see, Lord, I'm not who I thought I was. I thought that no matter what would happen, I would never deny you. And yet I was faced with a trial and I failed. See, that's the great thing about trials. Even though we can fail in a trial today and tomorrow and next week, we don't have to just stay a failure. Once we see the trueness, once we see the proof or the genuineness of our faith, we can then turn to God and ask God to, again, make it more real. And that we would make decisions in our life to have our salvation, our faith, be more real and more settled in God. You could think of Joseph, right? In Genesis chapter 39, verse 9, you could just write it down. Joseph is a young man, a handsome man. He's in a foreign country, a foreign nation. His brother sold him into slavery. He probably thinks his dad has forsaken him too. And a beautiful woman is hitting on him. It tells us every day she's hitting on him, telling him, Joseph, lie with me. Joseph, lie with me. Joseph, lie with me. And then Joseph finally answers her, Hey, there's no one greater in this house than I, nor has he, your husband, kept anything back from me but you, because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? We would never know Joseph's true character if his character had not been tested. Right? How do you know if an employee is actually good or not? If you're always around them, right? If you're always standing next to them at the cash register, are you really worried if they're going to steal from you or not? You're only going to know when you're not there if they're trustworthy or not, when you make a mistake and leave something lying around, if you can really trust them or not. Trials, they reveal to us where our true hope is. Sometimes we're in the midst of a trial, and our true hope is not in Christ. Our true hope, it's not in the Lord. Our true hope, it's in different things, because what are the first things we turn to when we're faced with a trial? What are the first things we turn to? It's it's amazing to me how there's believers that will go through a trial and they think the answer for their trial is to go to the Lord less. I'm in the midst of a trial and I'm 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 gonna pull back from going to church as often as I used to. That doesn't make sense. You should be doing the opposite. You're going through difficulty and eternal struggles going on. And the only one that can help you, it's God. And we meet with God here at church and in Bible study. So when we're faced with trials, it's going to reveal where my true hope is. Is it in my comfort? Is it in my home? Is it in the Lord? Let's turn to Daniel chapter 3. And we see three young men. And they reveal to us where their true hope was in. It wasn't in their comfort. In Daniel chapter 3, verse 13, right? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the king, he makes a giant statue. He says, Everyone in the country is gonna come. We're gonna have a big concert, a big worship party. And when they blow the trumpets, the whole entire kingdom is gonna have to bow down to this idol. And as they look out, right? Think of a stadium, not during COVID, but like two years ago, right? Think of a stadium and you have everyone bowing down except three guys, right? They would stick out like sore thumbs. And then in verse 12, it says, There are certain Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, have not paid due regard to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the gold image which you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in rage and fury, gave the command to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar, he speaks to them, saying, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the gold image that I have set up? Now, if you are ready, at the time you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the harp, the lyre, the psaltery, in symphony, with all these kinds of music... And you fall down and worship the image which I have made. Good. But if you do not worship, you shall be cast immediately into the midst of burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you from my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this manner. If that is the case, our God... Whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace. And he will deliver us from your hand, O king. But if not, let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods. Nor will we worship the gold image which you have set up. Again, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's hope was in the Lord. Their hope was in Jesus Christ. And as they're faced with a trial, right, and the trial's literally heating up before their eyes, their hope is in the Lord. Their hope's not in their comfort. Their hope's not in their safety. Their hope is not in being right before their king. Their hope was in God. God can save us, but if not, we're still not going to bow down. And as we go through trials, our hope, our true hope is going to be revealed to us what are we turning to who are we turning to what are we wishing for we're going to see where our true hope is finally trials reveal if we really want god's will or not right? if we're honest we should be praying lord my will right in heaven as it is on earth right? lord it should be me lord this is what i want Why aren't you doing it, God? This is what I want. Why isn't this happening, right? Trials. In Job chapter 2, I never thought about it. Job went through a trial, but so did Job's wife, right? Just as Job lost everything and lost his kids, his home, his businesses, he lost everything. Kids, grandkids. Job's wife, she lost everything and then she had a sick husband she had to take care of, right? But you know, for you ladies, it's like the worst of the worst, right? Right? But in Job chapter 2 verse 9, Job's wife says to him, Do you still hold fast to your integrity? Curse God and die. But he said to her, You speak as one of the foolish women speaks. Shall we indeed accept good from God? And shall we not accept adversity? And all this Job did not sin with his lips. Again, as we go through trials, we're going to be shown If we're really praying, Lord, your will, your will on earth as it is in heaven, right? Until we're going through difficulties, until we're going through trials. And we see Job's wife, she wasn't down with God's will, right? Hey, let's get this over with. Let's be done with it. Then we have the opposite, right, with Jesus Christ and Matthew chapter 26, verse 39. He's there praying, he has a prayer meeting with his friends, his disciples, the men he spent the last three years of his life with. Pray for me, guys. I'm going through a difficult time. They're all falling asleep. But in Matthew 26, verse 39, it says, He went a little farther and fell on his face, saying, My Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Again, trials, they revealed to us, Do I really want God's will or not? Or am I at least okay with God's will? Let's be honest. Lots of us, we don't want God's will in certain situations, right? But are we at least okay with God's will? Are we being reminded that He is all-loving, all-powerful, the perfect Father? And if you, perfect Father, if this is what you want, I trust you. I trust you. And again, this is a bummer of a beginning of teaching, right? But hey, the joy for us, right, is there back in 1 Peter... It all starts off with though now for a little while, right? Again, we should be rejoicing first and foremost in our salvation, but God promises us, hey, it's going to be for a little while. Now, we also know God is very interesting when it comes to the time-space continuum, right? Because one day is like a thousand, and a thousand days are like one day, right? So God, what do you mean by a little while, right? The word there speaks as if God has his hands on the thermostat, And he's looking at us, seeing how we're dealing with the conflict. And again, it just depends who has the hand on the thermostat, right? Whether you trust them or not. Next chapter in uh, Exodus is where Moses, when he holds his hands up, the whole army is winning. And when he puts his hands down, the army is losing, right? Maybe there was someone that said something mean to Moses the day before, right? And he sees him, puts his hands down for a little bit, right? And, and let's, uh, that guy, he's got to get beat up a little bit, right? It all depends on our trust in who has their hands on the thermostat, right? I think guys, they love playing like practical jokes with one another. And even at the ranch, at the wilderness, sometimes there's hot sauce there for breakfast. And sometimes the guy say, hey, you want me to put the hot sauce on your eggs for you? And after past experiences, I always say no, right? Because they don't just give me a nice portion. No, they give me a nice portion of hot sauce for a couple of minutes, right? And then that's why I said, no, never again. Am I ever going to allow someone else to have their hands on the hot sauce for me, right? But now if it's someone we love, someone we trust, hey, go for it. You know just the way I like it, right? Hopefully husbands and wives, you can make food for one another and you trust one another to not it over with hot sauce unless you're in a fight and we'll pray for you after service but right God has his hand on the thermostat he knows what we can take he knows what we can handle he's the one with Job that tells Satan as far as he can go in the trial with Job Job has to ask for permission every single time and God is the one that controls all of that and as we continue to go in depth We got to be reminded he loves us and perhaps our trial is the Lord chastening us. We don't like that version of the trial, right? To think perhaps I'm going through this because God is disciplining me. God has given me a spanking because of what I've done. He's disciplining me and trying to point me in the right direction in my life. In Hebrews chapter 12 verse 6, we can turn there. And in verse 5, it tells us, And you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as to sons. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons, For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? But if you are without chastening, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. Perhaps you're going through a trial because God loves you and he's chastening you, right? I don't know if this is the scripture for the parenting seminar, right? But basically, if you love your kids, you discipline them. If you don't discipline your kids, you hate them. It's biblical. That's what the Bible says. And because God loves us, he disciplines us. If God hated us, he wouldn't discipline us. And the same is true for us as parents and us in authority, that we would discipline those people that we love, right? Those people we love and we care about, we want them to do better in life. So we're going to go through discipline and testisement sometimes and it tells us it's not great we're not going to be overjoyed about God's discipline right I don't know how many worship songs there are about God's discipline right I think it'd be a pretty quiet time of worship we're allowed to be bummed out when we're going through chastening we're also allowed to be grieved by our trials right it tells us there in that same verse if need be you have been grieved by various trials and we just read about Jesus right That as he goes through a trial, he asks for his friends to pray for him. He's sweating, he's crying, he's weeping, he's sweating blood from the amount of pressure he's feeling. And it's interesting to me, maybe it's our Hispanic heritage, maybe it's just our pride. But some of us, we want far too much attention when we're going through certain trials. And there's other of us that we want to act like Superman or Superman, right? When we go through trials, we want no one to know when we're going through a trial. We want to act like we got this, we're the toughest person ever, right? And yet our Lord, he wept. Our Lord, he asked his disciples to pray with him. Our Lord, he sweated blood because of his trial. Ladies, gentlemen, do we think we are tougher than Jesus Christ? He asked his disciples to pray with him. He basically had a prayer meeting for what he was about to go through. As believers, we need to be real. We need to be vulnerable. We need to ask the people that we're sharing life with to pray with us and for us when we're going through trials. Maybe you say, I don't have anyone I share life with. Well, then start sharing life with someone, right? Start being real and honest and vulnerable with someone. Start attending more than just Wednesday night Bible studies. Start not just leaving and coming right at the start and ending of things so that you can have others to pray with, to pray for that one day you can be that person praying for them and encouraging them. Verse 7, that the genuineness of your faith being much more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. The word their genuineness, it's also the proof. That the proof of our faith, it's tested by fire. And then we can see really what it's worth. And if gold should be tested, how much more should our faith be tested? Again, our faith, our salvation in Jesus Christ, it's purchased with the most expensive substance known in the universe. The blood of Jesus Christ. The only substance which God himself can never replicate. We know he's going to recreate the heavens and the earth. We know he's going to recreate a bunch of stuff. We know that heaven, the asphalt is gold. But he cannot recreate the precious blood of Jesus Christ. And that's what, we, what was used To purchase you and I. That's what was used to save you and I from hell for all of eternity. So again, our view of ourselves should be with that. Wow, God purchased me with the most expensive substance known to mankind. Again, we should take that to heart. Our faith, it needs to be tested. Just like that gold, sometimes it needs to be tested. If your ears are turning green and rashes are popping out, hey, that gold, it needs to be tested. And maybe not during, but afterwards, especially if you're a mature believer, you will be grateful for that testing. I don't think any of us were grateful in the midst of hard times, but I think many of us, especially if we're mature people, We're grateful for those difficulties. We're not crazy saying, oh, I wish I could go through a hard time right now. Hopefully no one here. you got to come up for prayer if that's your heart, right? But after we go through difficulties and trials, we say, wow, Lord, that was crazy. That was insane. But, Lord, thank you for that. I have a newfound respect. I have a newfound gratitude. I have a newfound bond. I have a newfound respect. Those difficulties, right? Difficulties in marriages, they bring the husband and the wife closer together once they are done. Difficulties in life, they give you a greater understanding and a greater perspective on the blessings and joy that we have. And when we go through difficulties, guess what it reveals to us in the next difficulty? Hey, I can handle this. Or I can handle a certain measure of this because I went through this last time around. Charles Spurgeon, he says, indeed, it is in honor of the faith to be tried. Shall any man say, I have faith, but I have never had to believe under difficulties? Who knows whether thou has any faith? Shall a man say, I have great faith in God, but I have never had to use it in anything more than ordinary affairs of life? Or I could have probably done without it as well. Is this to the honor and praise of thy faith? Does thou think that such a faith as this will bring any great glory to God or bring any great reward? If so, thou art mightily mistaken. Again, our faith, it needs to be tested because then we get to see if it's legit or not, if it's true or not. Again, do you know if, you're married, if that man or that wife really loves you until you go through difficulties? You don't know that. Do you know if your boss really cares about you and appreciates you in work until you go through difficulties? Until you're sick and not able to come to work, and then they just say, ah, forget you, we'll get the next person. Did they really care about you? Or is it really a respect, a relationship there? No, it's when we go through those difficulties. Again, those difficulties reveal to us who we are, and those difficulties also reveal to us who God is and what he's capable of. On Monday nights, we've been going through 1 Samuel, we just looked at David and Goliath and the difficulties of David having to fight the lion and having to fight the bear showed David that God was capable of delivering Goliath into his hands. We need to go through difficulties. David, he was trained with the slingshot, right? Because he went through difficulties, he went through trials. in Second Timothy chapter three, verse 12. Again, Paul, he gives another great promise. Again, another refrigerator verse that I don't see too often. Second Timothy chapter three, Second Timothy three, verse 12. Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution." But evil men and imposters will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. Right? Anybody here want to live godly? In Christ Jesus, anybody here? That's a great promise verse for us, right? We will suffer persecution. We will suffer persecution. And now when we go through these difficulties, when we go through this persecution, the way we handle it, if we handle it in a godly way, it's going to bring praise and honor and glory to our Lord Jesus Christ. We'll have a small proof of Him and our love for Him even though we don't see him, right? That's what we're going to see here in verse 8. Whom you have not seen, you love. Though now you do not see him, yet believing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Again, we haven't seen him, but do we love him? How do we show him that we love him? By being obedient to his word, by going through trials in a godly way, By seeking Him and loving Him with all of our heart, mind, soul, spirit, and strength, right? And now it tells us, though you do not see Him, yet believe you rejoice with joy inexpressible. That word is literally joy without any words, right? There's no way to express the type of joy that we should have and have as believers, especially... Receiving the end of our faith, the salvation of our souls. Again, the end of our faith, it's the crowning consummation of our faith finally being completed. It's seeing Christ Jesus face to face. It'll be completed. We will have that joy inexpressible. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, this is such a great scripture. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 verse 12 And 13, it it gives us a perspective of heaven, a perspective of eternity, a perspective of the life that we are living right now. It tells us 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 12. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I also am known. And now abide faith. Hope and love, these three, but the greatest of these is love. Again, family, there's going to be a day that we're not going to need faith. There's going to be a day that we're not going to need the hope anymore because we're going to see Him face to face. We're going to be in heaven. We're going to see the consummation of our faith and salvation right in our face. There's going to be a day when we're not going to have to fight our flesh anymore. There's not going to be there's going to be a day when we're not going to have to bite our tongue anymore or deal with politics or fighting or taxes or health problems that day will come. And that day that hope should again fuel us through the difficulties and through the trials loving the Lord all the way through. We jump back to 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 10 through 12 it says of this salvation The prophets have inquired and searched carefully who prophesied of the grace that would come to you, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ who was in them was indicating when He testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. To them it was revealed that not to themselves but to us, They were ministering the things which have now been reported to you through those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things which the angels desire to look into. Again, our salvation, it is so great and important. There are not just one person, not just a handful of people, there are tons of people that have given their whole lives trying to understand this salvation many men many women who inquired and searched throughout all of scripture and searched from god himself of the grace that would come to us do we take it lightly again the prophets inquired and carefully searched and they prophesied of the grace of the new covenant which we have today because of christ jesus I don't think many of us would have made it back then. Every time we sin, have to go to the temple with another animal, right? And another animal, and another animal, and another animal. Every time we sin. But not through the new covenant. Jesus Christ, once and forever, is a sacrifice for our sins. In Ephesians chapter 3, we jump uh, back over to Ephesians chapter 3. Verse 4 and 6. In verse 3, it says, How that by revelation he made known to me the mystery... "...as I have briefly written already, by which when you read you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to His holy apostles and prophets, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of His promise in Christ through the gospel." Again, we take the Bible for granted. We take church for granted. We take our salvation, the knowledge, the perspective that we have over all scriptures. We take that for granted. Again, when Abraham was walking with God and gave up his home, his livelihood and everything to start going east. All right, God that I just met, that I've never spoken to before. Let's go for it, right? He had nothing. We have a whole book. We have thousands hundreds millions of Christians that have gone before us willing to give their own lives for this and yet we take it so lightly. In 2nd Timothy chapter 1 verse 10 it says but has now been revealed by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ who has abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Again we're super blessed. We have the full Bible, the full scripture. Paul, he was just reading the Old Testament and being blown away at God. We have the whole entire scripture. And could you imagine some of our Old Testament favorites? Being able to see Jesus face to face. Being able to pray to God at any moment. Not having to go to temple and make a sacrifice, right? Can you imagine Abraham being able to read the full scripture? To know Jesus as we know him? Can you imagine Jacob seeing Jesus face-to-face? Hey, I've seen you before. You're the one that jacked up my hip, right? And Jacob seeing Jesus face-to-face, reading through Scripture of the power of God. Right? How about Moses? He knew him only in a burning bush. He saw the glory one time and he looked like a nightlight, right? Can you imagine him being able to read through the entirety of Scripture? Right? He goes to Revelation. Wow, they're going to be singing my song in Revelation. That's crazy, right? Imagine David. The prophecies and psalms, the love, the desire that he had for God, being able to know him as we know him, or even poor Jeremiah, right? All that he went through. I think what he would have given to be able to know Christ Jesus as we know him. Family, may we not take our salvation for granted. May we not take our view of salvation, all that has been revealed to us, all that has been preached to us, all that the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, what He has given to us, may we not take it for granted. So as we go through trials and we will continue to go through trials, be confident of our salvation. Be reminded of our salvation. We'll read verse 13 and we'll, read, we'll go through this next time we're together. In view of our salvation, even in the midst of trials, it tells us, Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and rest your hope fully on the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Again, family, our hope, where is your hope in the days that we're in? It should be completely on Jesus Christ and Him crucified.